There are no official special music numbers today, but we'll take unofficial ones. Anybody just have the urge to get up here and sing a song? No? Play a piano piece? Anything? No? Okay. I understand there is a special for next week. But that means I've got extra minutes. Okay. Three options you have, if you're willing to take them, to participate in our study of the book of Daniel and get to know the book better. Option one was to read the entire book of Daniel. So far, 37 people have done that. That's about half of what we're hoping. We're looking for 75. But sometime between last Sunday and today, you might have read it. Anybody here want to raise their hand and say they did? We got one, two, three. Don't let me miss you. Wave frantically. Four, five. Did I get everybody? Did I point at you? Okay. Six. Not bad? Okay. All right. We're getting there. That's up to 43 now. We're over halfway. I still encourage you, folks, I think you should. You should take some time. It doesn't take a great deal of time. There's 12 chapters. Do two chapters a week or a day, and you can do this. It's not that complicated. I'd just love for you to do it. Pick a translation. Uh, maybe you've done it already. Maybe you're one of the 43. Um, you can't be put on the list a second time, but you can read it a second time if you want. You can pick up. What I like to do is I like to pick up different translations. And I'll read it from one one time, and I'll read it from another the next time. And I just love to, to enjoy it that way. So, okay, that's great. Now, maybe you took the time to give one word chapter heading for each chapter of the book of Daniel. Twelve words. Uh, we've had seven people do that so far. Do we have anybody else today? All right, Eileen. The end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Thank you. All right. Somebody else. Don't want to miss you up there. No? Okay. We have eight now. I'm going to say this because I know people are watching us. Harvey and Renita is watching us right now um, on the big screen. So it's kind of fun. We're on the big screen this morning. Um, but uh, if you wanted to do that too, you who are on our, our uh, Zoom program here, if you wanted to say, I'm going to read through the book, send me a, a note, send me an email and say, you did it. We'll count them. Uh, if you want to do the 12 words, one word for each chapter to some other word, email it to me. All right? I would love to see that. Uh, you can text it to me. We'll put you down on the list too. Uh, memorize five verses out of the book of Daniel. So far, we've had a couple of people do that. Anybody else ready this morning? Any five you want? Nobody yet. Okay, that too. If you want to memorize that, you may say, well, I, I'm terrified to say it in public. Well, I'll give you one other option. Memorize it, 
and then without any help, write it down and hand it to me. All right? I'll trust you that you didn't cheat. Uh, but uh, if you would rather do it that way, I just want us to learn God's Word. I want us to spend more time in it. These things are somewhat elementary, I know. You wanted something harder to do? Um, we could come up with harder assignments if you want them. Uh, writing a 15-page paper on Chapter 9 maybe would be a good idea. But uh, if you would rather do this, I just want to encourage you to get into the book. Okay? So there are three options for you. Read the whole book of Daniel. Label each chapter with one word. Or even, in addition to that, memorize five verses of your choice out of the book of Daniel. That's something that will encourage you, encourage us, and we're going to get all these people on the list. 43. So if you haven't yet read through the book of Daniel, we're anticipating this week might be the week. So maybe we can hit 75 next week, huh? Okay. Daniel chapter 2, please. Uh, today we're going to start in verse 24. The passage is 24 through 30, and I can guarantee you we're not getting that far. But we are going to cover that passage, at least in our reading to start with. Daniel chapter number 2, work your way over there. You might have bookmarks in there by now. Um, chapter 2, we're starting in verse 24. We're following the topic of uncompromising uncompromising. And Daniel is an excellent example of that for us to follow. He had resolved in his heart to follow God, to obey his word, regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. That's what he has set before us. I've simplified that to three words. Trust God regardless. Trust God regardless. As we continue into chapter number two, this last week we dealt with it and we're following on still the storyline of Daniel and there was a Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah who joined him in prayer. We mentioned that before. God provided the answer for Daniel as well as God provided the life for Daniel because within moments he could have been put to death. His three friends were granted life. All the wise men in Babylon were granted life because of what took place in this chapter. And even more, on top of all that, he gave the answers to Nebuchadnezzar. He asked to know the dream and to know its interpretation. And God gave that. And what, what I find so fascinating about that is that when God did that, he set in his word the historical roadmap of all the kingdoms to come and eventually the kingdom of Christ on this earth. All due to the request of a king who wanted to know his dream. He wasn't even a godly king at that. But God did something magnificent in this chapter. You know, it's not uncommon for God to answer prayers in such a facet or effect that so many other lives, beyond just that one who received the answer, are affected too. That's amazing to me to see how that works. Think about this for a minute. Back in 600 B.C., this story was taking place. 600 B.C., 
it probably didn't seem like a big deal at the time, uh, except for surviving it <laughs> on Daniel's part. That was important to him and the others there. But notice something, 2,600 or 2,600 years has gone by. We're still talking about that dream. We're still talking about it. How many of you still talk about a dream you had a month ago? 2,600 years, give or take a handful of those, and we're still talking about a dream. Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Daniel is gone. The kingdom of Babylon is gone. The kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians, that's done. The kingdom of Greece and dominating the world, that's done. The kingdom of Rome, we say, well, there's a revived one, I know that. But for what it was in that day, that's already set to the side because we're waiting, folks. We're waiting for the fulfillment of the final kingdom that this dream will talk about, the kingdom of Christ. This is exciting. A lovely, wonderful passage to read. But we're not looking at that dream today. We're not looking at it. We're going to continue the narrative. We're going to continue to watch Daniel and his trust in God regardless. And the reason why I want to spend so much time on this, well, the text does. <laughs> it gives us this information. God could have bypassed all of that and just said, Daniel, write this down in a book, like Isaiah did and others did, and just record the prophecies. But God wanted us to see the people too. He wanted to see what it's like to trust in a very difficult day. I think there's great application for all of that for us today. That's why we're learning this together. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're going into your word here, and we're going to dig into it again. We pray that you might guide our hearts and our minds in all these things. May we understand, but also may we be sensitive to your spirit, who moves us on to greater steps of obedience, to following closer to trusting more thoroughly. There probably is, and I know there is, those in our own congregation who struggle with things, and trust is hard. And I pray that you might show again that you are the one we trust, and you are certainly deserving of that praise. So I pray, Lord, you work in our hearts today and drive us closer to yourself through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you got your Bibles open, let's start. Daniel chapter 2. I'm actually going to start with the end of verse, uh, or right into verse number 23 and get moving from there. Um, it says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. That's the end of his prayer. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, 
Neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream, and the visions in your mind while, you, while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other uh, living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind." When we step into this scene here in Daniel chapter 2, we witness some rather intense, and I'd like to call suspenseful things. Daniel was about to be executed. I want to keep underscoring that. I don't know how you act, but that would make me nervous. He was about to be executed in Babylon for the failure of someone else. The wise man who could not declare and could not interpret the dream for the king. He was going to die for that. Since we have completed the record of the Bible, of course, we, we sit back and say, oh, that's okay. We know how it's going to turn out. Nothing to be concerned about here. But put on his sandals for a few minutes and put yourself in that situation. None of us could quite understand what that would have been like. I know you pray sometimes, and you have many times for hard things, uh, hard situations. We're all learning to trust God. It's not always easy, but we're called to, and we work toward that, and we wait on him, and that's not easy either, but we wait on him to give solutions to our troubles, our prayers, and what we also have seen is that God answers. Daniel received the answer to his prayer that night. Wouldn't it be great if they all moved that fast? That was not due to Daniel. That wasn't Daniel that somehow caused that. It wasn't Amazon either. All right? It wasn't anything that they had done. But as Daniel said, it was according to God's compassion. That's what he prayed for that God would have compassion on them. And let me remind you of something here. Daniel was still quite a young man. I want to keep putting this in our picture as well, because he's probably still in his teens. According to my chronology of things, he might be 16. He might be 17, somewhere in that ballpark. How was your prayer life at the age of 17? Should I ask? 17 years old? Daniel takes some risks here, if you want to call them a risk. He asked the executioner to wait. He asked Nebuchadnezzar for time, even though we saw that Nebuchadnezzar gets very mad about that request from the previous group that asked him for it. He asked God for an answer without knowing if he would answer him or if he would spare his life. He asked Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to join him in prayer 
And what's interesting in all that is, by their joining with him, they could have put their life in jeopardy as well. If they weren't already in that situation, now they've joined with Daniel in this moment. What if it didn't work out to the satisfaction of the king? We already know Nebuchadnezzar's temperament. We know he would have kept his word. And I want to remind you of this, according to my opinion, my opinion, all right? I'm allowed an opinion once in a while, by the way. Everyone else is allowed to have one. I'm allowed to have one here, too. But Daniel was still in his three-year training program. Because this is in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Some people work with those dates, and they change it all around. But what happened at the end of chapter number one, the first scene about Daniel and what he experienced was a big picture. And it talked about Daniel being put into the king's training program. And the last verse of Daniel chapter 1 was that he had passed the test after Nebuchadnezzar had talked with him. And he excelled in wisdom, excelled ten times greater than all the magicians and the conjurers and all the else in the kingdom. And it says that he continued on until the first year of Cyrus the king. That's 70 years later. And that was a big summary chapter. But here's the point. If this man was that much smarter than all the others, then why did the king call in all the others first? Daniel was still in training. He hadn't been examined to this degree yet. That's my opinion. So my calculation is Daniel's somewhere around 16 or 17 years old. He's still in the Babylonian Institute of Cultural Change. He's still there. And we can enter back into this dialogue and find out more about this man, this young man who trusted God regardless. Daniel's request. Go back to verse number 20. Verse number 20, chapter 2. This is rather interesting because God has answered him. God has answered him. He asked that the Lord would give him what he requested. And God answered him that night and gave it to him. And following that, we find his prayer, more detailed this time, but it's a prayer of praise. I want you to mark this as we start in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and might belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom. Remember I did this last week, emphasizing who? God. He did it. He did it. He did it. You could go all the way through the prayer. He reveals the deep and hidden things, verse 22. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. And then he set, turns it right to him and says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. I give thanks and praise. You probably are aware that there is a pattern in Scripture this way. When God answers prayer, God's people respond in praise. It's happened many, 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 many times. And matter of fact, a very good lesson for all of us. A very good lesson for all of us. Because we teach our children to say two words when something's given to them. What is it? 
You knew that. See? Either you were well taught or you've been teaching somebody else. Or maybe both. Thank you. Thank you. It says in the end times that people will become ungrateful. Do you know that? One of the signs of the end of the age is ungratefulness. And I'm afraid we can't easily forget God who provides for us over and over and over again. And prayer requests that just keep coming and coming and coming. How often do we stop and say, thank you? I praise you, God, for what you've done. I thank you for that. That's a lesson we need for ourselves as well. Um, Psalm 33.1 says that prayer, I mean praise, is becoming to the upright. Becoming? You mean it's coming? No. It means it's suitable. It's the right thing to wear, if you will. Praise is becoming. Matter of fact, one translation works it this way. Praise is beautiful to the upright. Praise is. Psalm 107, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, verse 1 and 2, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That is a terrific study. He is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I always stop right there. We have a lot to thank him for, don't we? If you're, if you're at a pause and you say, I, I, I just don't know what to say right now, start with the fact he's redeemed you. Go from that. I mean, that's a big praise request, isn't it? That's something we're so thankful for. But God's people respond with praise. That's what prayer leads to. I, I've said before that one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament involves King Jehoshaphat. I just love that name, Jehoshaphat. Nobody's naming their kids that anymore, are they? Jehoshaphat. My daughter is having a baby. Uh, Abby has a baby coming uh, at the end of this year, in December. And my son-in-law has a habit of picking names and uh, insisting that these are the names. He really caught us off guard the last time. If you got our, when the first child was born, we sent out an email. It was the wrong name. It's because she was probably still unconscious, and uh, he sent it out before she could, you know, edit it. And we, we were trying to reconcile, how are we going to live with that name? And because uh, he named her after, this little girl was named after an airplane, Cessna. And we're like, okay, but it turns out that wasn't her name at all. Well, he's already announced another name. He was uh, Elephatheth, Elephathleth. And I'm thinking, what is that name? And so I looked it up, and sure enough, I found it. Right away, when I Googled the name, that first name, because the last name is Remington, and it's the guy who's responsible for the guns. And my son-in-law is big into guns, and he intends to name his son that. Uh, and so I, I brought it back up, and I said, so you're going to name him after the Remington Gun Company? And he says, shh, don't let her know. <laughs> so anyway, that's Daniel's style. All that said is, nobody's picking Jehoshaphat anymore. I recommended it to him yesterday. Robert was a great name. And he said, in response, Jesus is a better name. So, deal with a theologian, and that's what you get. King Jehoshaphat, back to our story here. King Jehoshaphat 
and his kingdom of Judah was absolutely surrounded with enemy. And it was three enemies against his army, and he knew that he was cut off. He knew that his army could not withstand that attack. He knew that there was no hope in what they had to endure. He knew all that. So I go to 2 Chronicles 20, and you can join me there. 2 Chronicles 20, and start at the very beginning of the chapter. If you go to Psalms, keep backing up. Uh, you'll find books like Nehemiah and Esther and others uh, before that. Uh, work your way down to Chronicles. If you're in Corinthians, there is no chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat is really backed up against the wall in every single facet you could think of. And was he scared? Yes, he was scared. And look at the text with me as it starts chapter number 20. Now it came about that after this, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Amnon, together with the sons, some of the Menuhites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then, came, then some came and reported Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you, far beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazan's Tamar, that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Watch the first step. He's afraid. He did not call a council of his cabinet. He did not go finding books on strategy of war. It says he turned his attention to seek the Lord. First step, wise step. He proclaimed a fast, verse 3 says. He gathered all the people together in verse number 4. They all came from all the cities around them. They came so together they would seek help from the Lord. He wasn't alone in all this. He called all the cities to join him. Verse number 5. He started a public prayer meeting. He stood up in the midst of the people. He stood up in the temple of all places, and he started to pray. I would love to spend a lot of time on this, but I know my time's short, so I can't do that right now. But verse number 6 through 12, he prayed out loud. He prayed publicly. He declared his trust in the Lord all the way through it. He acknowledged in verse number 12 these important things. We are powerless. We do not know what to do, and we're waiting for your answer. That's exactly what I've been saying several weeks, what prayer looks like. Prayer is a matter of faith. Prayer is saying to God, I have a problem, I cannot solve it. I know you can solve it, and I humbly ask, will you solve it? Prayer is dependence on God. If you're not a praying person, you're saying you don't need him. Did I say that too hard? It is a matter of dependence. We're acknowledging that we need him. And we're going to wait for his answer, whatever it might be. We're going to wait. It could be within a few moments. It could be a day. It could be a month. It could be a year. It could be 10 years. It could be more. We know that the Lord did not wait to answer Daniel very long. 
But what he did with Jehoshaphat is even more astounding because just as this prayer ended, a prophet stands up in the middle of the crowd and he's got the answer from the Lord. You'll find that in verse number 14 that he started to declare what Jehoshaphat needed to hear. And he spelled it all out real simply. This isn't your battle. This is God's stand back, watch to see what happens. Verse number 17. You do not need to fight this battle, Jehoshaphat. Stand and see what the Lord will do. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. And here's the truth that you know as well as they did. The Lord is with you. How nice it would be to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Isn't that the truth? The Lord is with you? We act like we're alone in this world. Like the problems are insurmountable. That we're going to be crushed. We've got to tell God because he's not aware. He, he might miss it. <laughs> he's with you. He's with you. That's a promise in scripture. So what does Jehoshaphat do? When he hears this message, verse 18, I love it. I'm going to read this one. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The response to an answer to prayer was worship. Immediately, they turned to praise. Verse 19 will add the Levites to the story. And the Levites stood up and started to sing. Sing to God with a very loud voice. That was, now think, that was before God had finished what he promised to do. See it? Before God had destroyed those enemies, these folks were thanking him for it. Before God had done anything, they believed the message. They didn't need to see the answer to believe it. They didn't need to see the answer before they started to praise. They heard what God said and they believed it. They went forward on that. God did answer. God did defeat the enemies. Jehoshaphat continued to praise him. The storyline is great. We can't cover all that today, but I simply put this. It is not uncommon, and we could go to passage after passage after passage and find that answered prayer was met with praise from God's people. And most of the time, that was before God had even fulfilled what he said he'd do. That's the immediate response to an answer. What I find interesting here is how that matches so appropriately with Daniel. You know, what we do on, on Wednesday nights here, we have a prayer group that meets downstairs in the fellowship hall, 6.30, by the way, if you want to come and join us. Uh, we have prayer lists we pass around the room. And we all put on there, there's two categories, our prayer concerns and our praises. And we fill that out every single week. And sometimes that praise side is really loaded. And that's beautiful, because the things we were asking for, God has answered. And we, we enjoy that, that uh, reminder that praise ought to come from God's people, ought to come from us. Daniel's praise, you have heard already this morning. When we were here in Daniel, and we were walking through verses 20 um, through 23, 
had my bookmark there, and I pulled it right out. What do you know? Um, what do you see? He's praising God. I give thanks to you, verse 23, and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Now, why is this kind of interesting? Because Daniel, in his praise, knowing that God is the one who removes kings, who establishes kings, he praised God before he ever told that king the answer to his request. Daniel, in verse 24, then went to Arioch after his prayer meeting <laughs> and his praises. And he went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him and says, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. The task of execution had been given to Arioch. It was a bold thing to say stop. To say stop. Because Arioch could as easily forfeited his own life in listening to Daniel. But Daniel had what the king wanted, and he answered the dream. Now, side note on this, something interesting, I think. Dr. Whitcomb, in his commentary on Daniel, suggests how easy it could have been for Daniel to wait. Say that he waited two days and gave Arioch time to get rid of all the other wise men. You might have said, well, that wouldn't have been very nice. But after all, they're not loyal to God, right? And if they're not loyal to God, let's eliminate them like Elijah got rid of the prophets of Baal. Let's get them off the map, and then it's easier to serve the Lord when there's no trouble. Daniel didn't wait. He spared their lives, too, in his news that he had to share. He told Arioch to stop. And not execute anyone. He says, take me into the king's presence. I would declare the interpretation to the king. So Arioch hurriedly brings him in, verse 25 says, into the king's presence and spoke to him in these following words. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. <laughs> Does it sound like he's taking credit for something here? I have found a man, right? I have found a man. Uh, but look at the way he described Daniel. The wording is fun. He didn't say one of your personal advisors. He didn't say one of the most intelligent men in your cabinet. He didn't say this man exceeds everybody else. He said he's an exile from Judah. He's a galuth, that's Hebrew for a captive. Usually, when you have important matters, you bring in important people. I mean, that's the way we think it works. Influential people. We've got to have answers from influential people. We've got to bring in the experts from their various fields. We've got to have administrators and chief advisors and uh, executive directors. We've got to bring in the top of the cream. We've got to bring them in because they know the answers, right? You all hesitate to say, right? Because I know you won't. Arioch told the king that he found a man among the captives. A captive. But he knew the interpretation. Now, I like to think between verse 25 and 26 there was a pause. It's not in the text. I know that. But put yourself in that situation just for a few minutes. 
you're walking into the presence of the king, you say, we found your, you're the man with the answer. Here's the man. And there's Daniel standing there, a captive. Do you think there's a bit of a pause here? Like Nebuchadnezzar stops and looks. And Ariok is saying, uh-oh, I hope this turns out good. No guarantees, you know. What if he says, are you playing a joke on me? Are you kidding? I, I think there might have been silence in the throne. I, I know I'm adding some dramatic effects here. But I just can't help but picture. There's enough of a pause here to make everyone's heart jump right up to their throat. What is about to happen? We hold our breath in situations like that. The king could have had Daniel killed immediately. That, you don't bring that into my throne room. Put him to death. A guard would have done it. Ariok, you blew it. Put him to death. He would have done it. That's how easy it could have been. And the king is looking at a teenage captive. Teenage captive. And it all sits on what the king says next. Trusting God regardless. <laughs> That's all Daniel could do at this moment. Stand there and trust regardless. Praising God regardless. He's already done that. The king says to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? By that statement, he said, the same requirements go for you as it did for everybody else. You have to tell me the dream, no hints. You have to tell me its interpretation, and the responsibility lies in your lap if the penalty comes your way. If you fail, what was promised was, I dismember your bodies and I burn everything you've got. Pretty serious thing. He made it a point, same rules apply. Daniel's initial words, I love this. Verse 27 makes me smile every time. I want to show you why. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has acquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Stop right there and look at the king's face. Last time he heard that, he sentenced everybody to death around him. And there's this young teenager walking into the room and said, We can't do it. Wow, can you see the red? This man is about to pop. This is, what? We brought you in here? You said you, you said, you just said? You can't. Wise men can't do it. Conjurers can't do it. Magicians can't do it. Diviners can't do it. Nobody can do it. However, Daniel wasn't done yet. However, what a great word. Think of it for a minute. It sets up a beautiful contrast, doesn't it? However, the Hebrew word, actually it's not Hebrew, it's Aramaic, is baram, baram. And baram means literally, except what? You may say, well, that's a weird way to say it. Except what? It, it, it means, in this, this use of the, the word, Daniel's the only one to ever use it, by the way, in all of the Old Testament. He said, except what? And that would stop you right there, because you're 
have to know what is he talking about? What's happening here? He's saying the world is inadequate to offer you a solution. It's unable to offer you a solution. It's hopeless to offer you a solution. In reality, take all that man can do, pile it up all together in a heap, and still it will not satisfy. It does not last. It, whatever you've got is going to be carried off by somebody else eventually who comes and proves themselves stronger than you, wiser than you, who can do things you can't do. Except what? Except what? There is something better, Nebuchadnezzar. There is something higher, Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. That is his except what? There is a God in heaven. I think those words need declared in our world too. There is a God in heaven. We have threats. We have people in power who think they're invincible. We have committees. We have judges. We have dictators. And on and on and on and on we go in our world around us. Except there is a God in heaven. Think for a minute. Daniel's standing there praising God regardless there was a king who needed to hear this. If you think about Daniel for a few minutes, or Nebuchadnezzar here, what has Nebuchadnezzar ever seen or hear, heard that would tell him there was a God in heaven? Was he relying on King Jehoiakim? You know, the guy in charge of Judah when he captured him? Was that a good example of somebody who declares there's a God in heaven? No. There was nothing about Israel at all, nothing about Judah at all that would suggest that there was a God in heaven because they didn't live that way. That's why God sent Nebuchadnezzar. He walked into a community that had turned their back on God. They were not declaring praises of him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't hear it from Judah. He didn't hear it from the kings. Jehoiakim was an evil man. He didn't hear it from there. There was no testimony around him that there was a God in heaven until this teenager stood in front of him. There was no other reference to it. That's 605 BC. He goes back twice more to Babylon or to Judah to attack it in 597 and 586, and both times he still sees wicked kings on the throne. He still sees corrupt priests serving. He still sees the sinfulness of the people all around there. And nothing in that declared that there was a God in heaven. But Daniel said it. There is a God in heaven. This might have been the first time this king was ever confronted with the fact that God exists. Daniel spoke quite frankly. This is what I love. I, I, it gets me thinking about the world we live in today. A world that doesn't want us to speak of our God. Do you know that? They don't want you to declare there's a God in heaven. This world loves its sin. It is in darkness and it loves it. God and his word is despised all around us. It reminds me of what Peter said. He says, be brothers, be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble in spirit. 
not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil, do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove to be zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Trust God regardless. Daniel had to learn that. We do too. Trust God regardless. That's uncompromising. There is a God in heaven. Do you believe that? Trust Him regardless. And I add, praise Him regardless. <laughs> Praise him, regardless. We need to declare that message, just like Daniel had to say it before a king. We have to declare it because there are people in our world who do not know there is a God in heaven. They do not know it. You do. Show it in your words. Show it in your actions. Present it before people. Show them that you have an uncompromising faith in your God. Don't be shy. Speak about him. Should be the first things out of our mouth. <laughs> there is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. I'm going to leave you with that because we aren't done with the narrative yet. We have to see how he responds to this one. So, have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. There's so much for us to glean. We're learning about this, and, and you know the challenges we face too. Our world is not a, a simple place to live anymore not easy to live in a wicked world. But we're learning from your word that we're supposed to follow you regardless, to trust you completely, to praise you unendingly. And I pray that you might trigger those things in our hearts that bring us to understanding that better today. Thank you, Lord, for your work in our life, for your kindness, your, your patience toward us, and yet your deep love that would never let us go. We give you the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen.